All right, we're going to get started tonight. Have you ever seen someone get shot in a movie? And what's the worst thing that can happen to a character in the movie when they get shot? And they, they, yeah, that's the worst thing that can happen. They die. Thank you, Eli. They shoot back. That's a, that's our mentality. Okay. Well, I was going a little bit of a different direction, but I think y'all brought up some good points there. So anyway, let's start over again. When a character is in a movie and he gets shot, the worst thing you can't stand is when they die like a girl. Like they die like, what do you say? Die like a, give me a better word. When they die like a sissy, where they just die with no courage. It's terrible. Well, it looks like the body of Christ. My <laughs> gosh, all my phone calls, it has been like terrible. You know, you read that verse that says, you know, you're watching as a thousand fall by one side and 10,000 by the right. And if you people watch how these people are falling, you get phone calls and texts, and it's just like they're making mistake after mistake after mistake. You're just like, you've got to be kidding. You'd think we'd show a little more strength than this. You know, you'd think that we'd have a little bit more maturity or training than what we're showing. But when you watch these people fall, when they fall, they make themselves just real rattled. They're just showing you how rattled they can get with something. You'd think they'd never had any experience with spiritual warfare in their life. You know, look, they've never, ever gone through anything. I mean, like, is that how everything is? They're just so traumatized. I mean, you wonder, does the word do them any good? It doesn't seem to. Then you have the, what happens next, the domino effect. And if you didn't care, you're just watching them go down. You know, it's like we talked about last week of coming out of a spin. They're not coming out of a spin. They're doing rollover flip-flops in their spin. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. And they get traumatized, and then they try to make everyone around them traumatized, and they want to show how shaken they are. And if there's any new believers or any new ones, oh, well, they get this first big dose where everybody has to apologize to them. So that's been my week. And I was thinking we might kind of speak into this today. I just got to writing on it, and I thought, I'm just going to see where this goes. I have no idea where this will lead. So that's why I was in there just seeing what else the Lord was going to say on it. But let's talk about how you can have an anointing to make things work out well. That is what you're supposed to do. If no one's ever given you that memo, when things start going down wrong, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit to help things work out well. So you kind of, number one, you start sorting stuff out. The first thing you do is you find your peace. Hopefully you can pull the spin to a stop. Barring from that red is dead when you're hurling towards the earth during a skydive, you're able to come up with some way that you're not going to go crashing into the earth and leave a hole in it. You're going to be able to find a way to just start sorting through things. Now, are you able in a panic situation to find your peace? Number two, you check with your spirit. Are things really what you think they are? I mean, sometimes things are not as they seem. I've had a whole lot of times the Lord is so kind to me that I'll think, uh-oh, this may be it. <laughs> you just feel like you can't believe this has happened. And the Lord will turn it around, and it's not as it seems. Or it's not as hard as you think it's going to be. Like the Lord says, his burden's easy. Start claiming it. His yoke is light. This doesn't have to be the end of you. But a lot of times things are not as they seem. So check your spirit. 
make sure that what you are thinking is going down is really what's the truth. Because remember, Jesus didn't judge by what his eyes saw or his ears heard. You know, I've quoted Henry Kissinger made this statement. He said that in the world, there's no sense for you to watch the news because you're not going to interpret it right. He says, what you're seeing is the effect, but what you'll never see is the cause. And that's scary from his standpoint. So I think that's true not only in the natural, but I think it's true in the spiritual world. That a lot of times that you're seeing the effects, but you're not necessarily seeing the cause. That you're not having discernment to know where the symptoms are. What's really causing it. Number three, making right decisions. Making right choices. You would think, I would sometimes just like to hope that after people have come out of cross lines for a bunch of years, that they might remember that they might should have to forgive somebody. It's never occurred to them. I've not had one graduate and they ever bring that ideal to the front. I'm like, okay, forgive the person you're offended with. It's not even on the radar. I mean, Christians don't even think of that. Well, let's say this, number four. If something really, really concerns you, if it really, really bothers you and it's important how it turns out, perhaps you should, let me just spell it such a horrible word. (laughs) F-A-S-T. I mean, I know it's hard to do without, but if it really means something, maybe you could seek the Lord, skip a meal, and pray into it. I don't know what the Lord's going to do when people say, God never answered any of my prayers. You think about this deal and you think, what is God going to do when you say, well, you didn't answer my prayers, and he said, never one time did anything mean enough to you that you ever stopped and fasted. Like, when is something meant enough to you to really seek the Lord? Or maybe caring enough to cry out to God, where you really get and you just don't think your prayers, but you actually kind of wail your prayers, W-A-I-L, where you're wailing out, that you're calling out to God, that you're crying out to Him. That might be a possibility to help things to work out well. Maybe how about if you heard from God? Is that even possible? I mean, do people even do that anymore? Do they actually hear God tell them to do something? And you put it into action. Oh, it's one thing to hear, it's another thing to do. Or seven, how about wisdom? How about if you really were known as a person of wisdom and truth? Like there was just an anointing on you where people just went to you because you have such great wisdom with fixing problems that go wrong, with straightening out messes, that when there's a crisis, you're the person to call. That's the anointing to make things work out well. You know, what I've been noticing is that people have the anointing to make it worse. (laughs) Like, I think they're trying. You can't have these kind of results unless you're literally trying to make the situation worse. This kind of anointing comes from a spirit. It can help you. If you get a spirit to aid you in this, it will help you make the mess bigger. I mean, you can get it where it's not just a few people involved, but you can involve like a large portion of perhaps your family, your church, your city, maybe even the nation. I mean, if you can really get those spirits all intertwined, it can really help you be very divisive. And this message is not to non-believers. This is to mature Christians in leadership. But you go into the spiraling, crazy kind of thoughts, and you hear that antiverse pumping in your mind. You listen to your thoughts, which give you a spirit of fear and insecurity and victimhood and hate and an unsound mind. 
You know which verse I'm quoting from. It's in the devil's chapter. But you literally have that spirit of fear. Like, it tells you that you really care about the situation to really get into anxiety. Like, you must not care if you're not in a lot of fear. I hope people understand facetiousness on podcasts. But hopefully, in early discipleship, I've wondered this. Like, can I do anything about your problems in your future now by handling your discipleship during these years? I don't know. I'm getting kind of worried about this concept. I had really came out of the chute really believing that in college ministry, I can help you pass all your spiritual warfare tests, that you can really do better than the average Joe out there. I'd really thought if you had enough word in you, you could do something. So I'm asking myself, I don't know if I can prepare you and disciple you for all that awaits you. But hopefully tonight, you know, maybe put this podcast somewhere near you so that you can listen to me yell at you and realize I have a very ugly face on right now thinking about you, of wanting you to use these ideals that we're going to discuss. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do to make things worse. One thing can be a mission trip overseas. You don't want to be that one on the mission team of 30 who everyone remembers the trip by. (laughs) Like, you had that anointing to really drive everyone crazy. That one person who makes everything that happens be about themselves. Like, they just have this unique ability to do that. You know, you try to weed them out by the short-term mission trips that are three hours away, eight hours away, so I don't have to pay for five plane rides home for you because I'm so angry (laughs) thinking about the money. (laughs) Mexico is so much better. You can just lose you over there. But um, that's why we uh, make our list of who goes on a mission trip with a pencil that has an eraser. (laughs) Serves you well. So you have these some single incidences that I can think of through the past. I may just tell everyone who's listening to this podcast at the moment, I'm not naming names, but your picture is appearing on the overhead here for the, everyone to see. But I just remember this one trip we had to Houston, and we took this really lazy guy. And it was such a partnership, this lazy, lazy guy with this work project. And we really thought this would be just solve all his problems. And, you know, he wants to be in ministry, but laziness is just kind of sometimes goes with the ideal of ministry and so anyway we were in there cleaning out this theater and we were really wanting to do a good job for the pastor and his wife and really help him out we were a young fun team and we had a lot of spiritual strength but one person i would have never thought of it but he fakes an accident oh yeah and he's telling us that he thinks he has a bone hanging out of his leg but he can't get his pants off to show it to us well my little darlings all get around him And you hate to interrupt their spirituality, but two or three hours later of prayer, we're looking at going, we're just going to have to let the bone hang out. You know, this is not working well. I told some of them, I said, I think I'm discerning that he's making this up, you know, after hours of no work. So everybody had to do double and triple time after we went back to work and just put him on a couch, which he was fine that afternoon. You know, the bone had gone back into place from our fervent praying. But you just can't imagine what somebody can do to a church, to a group of people that are really energetic, to a mission trip, when they are all about self. They can really come up with some colorful things that are, you know, just kind of hard to forget. And so there is an anointing that some people have that they really do try to make things difficult. 
you know, well, I was thinking about, and this is where I was praying for you because it helps me that most of you guys and gals are from the country. There's just something that just gives me a sigh of relief. Like when we get in a whole bunch of city people, sometimes I'm like, oh my. But um, I think it helped me. I think it helped me being raised in the country, but I was on the mission field. So we were with the college team and I got attacked on the mission field. And the first thing you want to know when it's life-threatening is the wisdom to know who do you tell. Because it's going to make trauma waves. I had this thing that happened to me. I was a little bit disobedient. Anyway, they put me in a car. I was dispelling all the shrimp I'd eaten, and it was uh, going all over the insides of their new car. It was projectile. And, I mean, that lady wanted to get me to the (laughs) Makati Hospital as soon as she could. I mean, it was going everywhere. You know, it kind of went from bad to worse, from what was happening to me there, and they put me in a wheelchair. They weren't used to the size of Americans, so the guy makes a running dash with the wheelchair. He hits the door jam. Now, they've already put an IV in me. I've never had an IV in my life. I've never been in the hospital. To be in the hospital overseas is even more exciting. And so they hit the door jam, And I had the IV, and I go flying out of the wheelchair. I didn't know that when they come running for me, the little cute Filipinos, and they get the IV lower than you, it fills up with blood. My interpreter ran over, and she was like, whoa, what's this? Red, what? Red, clear, red, clear, red, clear. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, if your intestines fall out in a foreign country, some of these countries, third world, they'll play with them. I mean, they'll count them. I mean, we've been there. And I don't care how much you mean to them, there is a certain excitement they find to uh, dismal situations to Americans. Well, I didn't know what was going to kill me first. Then they told me I had this incurable, you know, and they explained it all to me. And they decided they were going to do exploratory surgery. And I signed against it. Then they come in in the middle of the night and they hand me another thing. They trying to force me to sign it. They said, don't listen to them. You have seven doctors. You're only supposed to have one, but they all want the money from your surgeries. Surgeries? I was like, surgeries? My gosh. Well, you know, you have a little setback like this. I'd been out having a really good time doing evangelism all day long and stuff. And the wisdom, what do you tell? Who do you call? Well, I decided the first thing I don't do is I don't call home. <laughs> Later, the head of the missions program flew over there and he thanked me. And he said, it was remarkable what you did. He said, your parents were calling looking for you, and you had set it up where people would answer and say you were spending the night somewhere else. This is a good story. So anyway, this lasted for three or four days. I decided, like, I've got to figure out who can pull heaven down. Like, I'm needing a little help here. So I saw one person who had faith. One person who I thought, well, this person can help me. Now, this is typical of what happens when you don't want something to get worse than what it was. And so I looked around to the one person who had faith and who was anointed to give me help. Now, the throwing up, the insides of the car, the wheelchair, all the different things that had happened. We were burying my pills and the potted plants. I mean, it was just, yeah. You know, you're young, and you have great faith at this point. This was a very little person. She wasn't my interpreter. She just had said she liked me better than everyone else out of the 30. And uh, so she had come to where I was. I decided that's the person to hear God what to do. She told me, we're getting you out of here. They're going to try to do surgery on you, and they're just doing exploratory. They just want money. 
And I was like, well, that's comforting. So I got out of the bed, and when I tried to walk, I was in a lot of pain. And I'm probably not going to get to use this whole story. It's such a good story, but parents would faint over this one. I'm glad some of your parents are not here tonight. But anyway, so I checked out of the hospital, and I was in a lot of pain. And I was asking the Lord, what do I do? And my little uh, sawed-off friend, she said the Lord told her what to do. Now, there's a small problem that we were having when we got out. We were in the middle of a typhoon. And the typhoon (laughs) that came to my thighs came to her neck, kind of. (laughs) Not exactly, but it's a good way to tell it. But she waded across the whole city to the squatter's village. And she got me a woman that she said the Lord told me that was the right one. And the lady waited all the way back. I said, she's not a witch, is she? And she goes, no, it's not a witch. (laughs) She's praying for you. Just be quiet. And she got each of my organs and she squeezed them so hard, I couldn't quit screaming. I, I, yeah. Have you ever had anyone reach in your body and squeeze? Like they picked out your organs and squeezed. She said, you're going to need one more appointment. That's a dollar. So she waited all the way back. She wanted a dollar for that. She went home in the squatters. And when you see squatters, it breaks your heart. It tears you up. But the lady comes back the second day. She, again, squeezes important parts of me. I was bruised like crazy. And I got out of that bed completely well. I even had a nurse on the plane tell me it can't happen what happened. And the power of God hit me. And I was good for the rest of the three months. Now, either they're hearing the Lord or you're dead. There's not a two-way thing about it. And my parents loved hearing the story after I got home and it was over with. But there's a little bit of that mentality that you've got to have to not escalate situations. Now, I'm not advising this. I'm asking you not to practice at home on your brother or something like that, your animals, and see if the Lord gives you the strength that you can do something that's miraculous. But for the most part, I don't think people believe in the miracle power of God. And that was my start, and thank goodness God has mercy on fools and crazy people and people like me. But it does kind of serve you well to pull God into what's going on in your life. It was the power of prayer. And the whole program said, we have never had a team that had 10,000 people saved. And they thanked me because they said you held everybody on the field because they said if anything like this gets out, all parents everywhere panic and pull their kids home. You know, we started having teams to this same country later, and we were getting 10,000 saved in a a three-and-a-half-week period. And that was documented salvations that they're going to follow up. Y'all, the power of God is what makes the difference. And you have to just get through the turmoil. I just will never again. God told me, don't eat that shrimp. And I not only ate it, I didn't pray over it. So I'm just telling you, I was wrong. You've got to figure out when things are going down wrong, what you can do, where you can find wisdom. And I didn't find wisdom in the crowds. I found the wisdom in one person. And I think there was only one person anointed to get me well. I don't think anyone else would have thought that. I don't think anyone else would have come up with that solution. I don't think anyone else had the faith. And that's why it's so important not to just just rattle off, oh, i got to get everybody I know praying. It can work if the Lord's telling you that, but for the most part, you've got to find what's the anointed thing to do to make everything work out. Now, what's your sword? What sword do you have? But let's say, literally, what's your personal sword? I would say it's your tongue, it's your mouth, it's your words. 
And you can use your words to create a worse environment, or you can use your words to speak what needs to be spoken. If a whole bunch of people are in conflict, think you've got a sword. So sometimes it calls for strong words when everything's going down wrong. I felt like that in Houston when that happened with that guy, I felt like on that trip where we were cleaning out that theater, that I had to be the one with the strong words. None of the other leadership wanted to do it, but I had to call everyone back to work. I had to be the one to take the young man, pray for him myself, and get everybody headed in the right direction. Sometimes what you've got to do in leadership is you've got to make the tough decision, sometimes not the popular one. You've got to bring strength to it, and you've got to make sure at the end of the day you achieve your objectives. And so that's where I would say is I would prepare my sword Yes, you're speaking the word of God. Of course you're speaking the word of God. But you've got a sword in your mouth that's going to work for you or against you. In strong words, there's times where you've got to speak the truth when no one else speaks the truth. I think this year at Chime Out service, I heard one of the best sermons I've ever heard by a college president. He said that we're living in times where you're going to have to have enough courage not to bow to the world and you're going to have to speak the truth. That we're living in times when everyone's going to be telling you to go along with everyone else, and you're going to have to stand for truth. So, strong words. Another thing that a lot of times will solve bad problems, shockingly, are pleasant words. You don't hear that much from us, but Proverbs 16:24. It says, pleasant words are a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul, and they're healing to the bones. Sometimes the best thing I can do when things are out of control is I can walk in with sweet words, pleasant words. And if I can't do it, I send in Ann. (laughs) They say that if you don't have the anointing, staff it. (laughs) Ann, I tried writing this email three times. Would you write it? I need some honeycomb on this one. This printer company is going to throw us out. But when Ann gets mad, we're in trouble. But strong words and pleasant words, you've got to be thinking not what's best for you, but what's best for the situation. You've got to come up with what will fix the turmoil. You can't have this idea, what's going to make them manifest more? Because for a while in life, you're just like, can people really manifest that much? Can they say those kind of things and think those kind of things? Especially people that you look up to that are supposed to have strength. You're kind of shocked what they can do in a crisis. Everybody is giving big nods, but it's true. And I wish I could tell you it's different. You know, my dad once said, if you didn't have the family you wanted, then make the family that you want. If you didn't grow up in the family you wanted, then, you know, have the family you want. And that's what I'm doing here. You're my family. And your family to me and things I've seen done wrong, I'm trying with everything in me to help disciple you where y'all can do it right. I was thinking about situations, just daily troubles that you have or turmoil. And this went too long ago. But Steph and myself were having trouble getting tickets because we were flying out the next day. And don't make fun of us waiting until the day before. God only gave us two days notice on this trip. And Steph was still peaceful. But after nine hours, when you need to be doing lots of other things, leaving for a trip, 
Nothing worked. We could not get tickets to this country. She was weary, disgusted, and aggravated <laughs> and about to quit. And let me tell you what happens to your logical position after this. The next thing that happens is that you start questioning the trip. Are we supposed to go? <laughs> there was no reason this wasn't working, and she couldn't figure out any kind of a problem to it. So she brings it to me, and she says, I'm still holding my peace. But you knew it wasn't going to be lasting if I did not come up with a serious decision on, are we supposed to go? And there was just a lot of unknowns to us. It was brand new to us, the type of airlines, and it was our first time in. What brings a situation in control? Ask the Lord. Ask him. You might say to me, oh, we had already asked him. Of course we had. Ask him again. What do you think the word knock means? You ask, you seek, knock. If they don't come to the door, knock harder. I know how you guys do me. I mean, y'all beat my door down. It's knock. And that's what the Lord says, knock. Knock. I don't come to the door because you're my friend. I come to the door because you're waking up everyone in the neighborhood. There's no friendship to it. And that's how the Lord described the prayer, ask. So the Lord told me to tell her, buy a one-way ticket into the country. Now, your reasoning starts saying that's crazy because we did that once and we almost got sent home, turned around in Jordan and sent home because they don't accept one-way tickets. We looked it up and sure enough, Brazil doesn't like them either. And Steph says to me, we've already tried that. But remember that sentence that Peter said to Jesus? But Lord, at your bidding, I'll throw my nets again. And sometimes the test of the Lord is to tell you to do it again. Reluctant. Like sometimes you can say, okay, I'll try it. If Steph was making this point, she could have said, reluctantly, I'll try what you're telling me. Or I'll try it because you said to do it. But she said, no, she amped it. We got an agreement. We got an agreement that when we did a one-way ticket, it would let us buy the tickets instead of rejecting it. And guess what? It turned out that we needed one-way ticket and not the return. That little piece changed everything. God wasn't trying to get us in the country. He was trying to keep us in the country till we had completed our assignment. The results, was it the right trip? This ended up being a very important trip. But you get it frustrated, you get bent out of shape, you give up on the trip, you'll never know what God was gonna do. You've got to be able to handle crisis situations. You know, I was thinking of Steph and Wyatt. They were working a project. They were trying to get the pump working in the fountain. And they're dealing with electricity. So yesterday, and water, those two always go well together, electricity and water. Everything just went wrong. Three trips to the hardware store, buying pumps, doing everything they could think. And, you know, I asked politely, but they said, yeah, we prayed that morning. But they said, with what's happening, it just keeps going wrong. Have you ever had a project? Just something's off. So they decided to go home early because electrically it wasn't working. So they get up today, they prayed again, they asked the Lord about it, and this is the beauty of it. There is nothing like partnerships. This is so nice to keep us from having to do it all by ourselves. The Lord gave the two of them how to fix it. Steph solved some of it, and White solved the other portions of it. And when White told me what he did, you could not reason what he did. In fact, I think an angel even helped him on the second one. Who could have done it or thought it? But today it went smooth. And I'm saying the same thing that will help you work with electricity and water and a cranky old pump that won't work in a fountain. 
It's the same thing that'll put you on a mission team, put you on a mission field and help you raise your money and help you do the impossible. You've got to be practicing with these little things in life. You've got to. This is where you overcome. Sometimes I tell myself, I can't export it until it works at home. So some people are anointed to make things worse. (laughs) And some people are anointed to make things work. So I'm going to give you the verse. I want you to write down Matthew 12, verse 30. And this gets you in a lot of trouble if you don't get this one right. But it says there's an anointing to scatter. And if you have the anointing to scatter, you're not of God. And I think of how many people I know who have a scattering anointing. (laughs) And it says working against him who scatters, working with him who gathers. Scatters. Study your effect on people. Are you a scatterer? Mark 12, 30. Jesus says, if you're not working for me, you are scattering. Any of you that have worked with animals, herds, H-E-R-D-S, herds naturally scatter. They don't think it's one. They're not like those pretty fish in the ocean where something gives a signal and all the silver fish turn and go the other direction. Have you seen that? Or birds who are beautiful and take the lead? No. You know what it's like working with animals. They scatter. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you help to scatter, you're a problem in ministry. And I've seen leadership that have scattering anointings. Luke eleven twenty three. people who scatter sheep. In a crisis, you've got to know for the sake of the sheep how not to scatter. How do you know what category you're falling into? Ask your friend. <laughs> he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. On a ranch, if you're helping with the cows and you're moving a herd of animals in one direction, it's difficult. You get through one gate, through a pasture, to another gate, to the trailer. It does you good to learn how to work with animals. People work the same way. Mission trips are completely like this. And you invite kids over to help. Think of those days. You invite a couple of kids over, come help us. And they'll run right through them run right down the middle. (laughs) They'll have cows everywhere. The trailer never gets loaded. And you look at them and you just go, that poor kid, bless their heart. They just have an anointing of scattering. Like whatever you've gotten put together, they'll run right down the middle of them. And I love the word in this verse because only people who have done this understand this. But it says, they scattereth abroadeth. I just add the scattereth abroad. (laughs) So it's not just scattering. Notice this. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You get them running, they'll end up going abroad. It's amazing how people can do the wrong thing at the wrong time. That does not need to be you in ministry. It's called dumb and dumber. You know, 1 Samuel 13, 11, Saul was handling the crowd. He had no training in this. No one had taught him this verse. And when Saul saw the crowd scattering, he did something he should not have done. It's what happens when you panic, you get in control. This is the thing that I test for when I have you leading teams overseas. I test for when you will get into fear and start controlling. Because if you'll do it here, you'll do it when you have a group of sheep. God can't trust you with what belongs to him if you do not learn how to handle sheep well. It goes from bad to worse. 
you know, you think about Saul's life, and I'm going to just rattle this off to you pretty quickly. But because of this, he had a grandson who was crippled in an accident in 2 Samuel 4, 4, because Saul kept the whole kingdom in turmoil and everyone was afraid. And because he couldn't handle himself, he caused accidents. When you get into fear, there's going to be an accident waiting at the end of it. The devil sees to it. You've got to have strength. One commander in Israel, he told me every time that they made a move, one of their tanks were being blown up. And I think they only had six or seven tanks at this particular battle. And he said, the key to the battle was I kept my voice calm. And he said, I just gave them orders of what to do. He said, every guy was wanting to take his tank and go. Because if you get hit in a tank, this guy had had this happen to him in the prior war. His body caught on fire. Can you imagine being in a fire inside of a tank? He got out of the tank and he rolled and rolled. He said, as a general, he said, I'll tell you, I was crying for my mommy. Yeah. This is what happens. Bad things happen. So Saul, he kept it in turmoil. He was not a good general. He didn't know what he was doing. He was bad leadership and may have been the best Israel had at that time. So you've killed good men, men better than yourself. Write down 1 Samuel 14, 44, 1 Samuel 28, 19. Saul is wrecking people's lives. That's the problem with leadership. You have the power to destroy people. And he wrecked the lives of innocents. 1 Samuel 22, 18. 1 Samuel 13, 11. When Saul saw the crowd scattering, he needed to have learned to have the wisdom to not panic. It was going to only increase from there. And that's what I was going to tell you. You may have some of these traits in you, but you've got to do an introspection. You've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, do I have this tendency? You can't just hope this opportunity to get in fear and wreck everybody's life will just pass you by. You've got to face the root cause of it. What's causing this? Now, I'm going to give you the best example that I like to use on myself for leadership. And it's in Esther 6.6. And these are your rules for leadership. If you'll follow this, I think it's going to keep you out of trouble. You know, we have a game we play in here. You want to get rid of something? Call it by the ugliest name. If you have a trait in you you don't like, don't say something nice about it. Call it an ugly name. It'll help you get rid of it. And I made a bad mistake the other day. Someone was asking me my opinion on someone, and I'm so used and trained to call it by the ugliest name, I called it by the ugliest name twice. I got everybody upset. So this is just for us. Call yourself by the ugliest name. Don't try to not do it to others. But in Esther 6.6, notice what this guy does. He said, who would the king want to honor more than me? He calls him into his presence. And it's when you get so excited because you think, oh, I'm the one getting the foot rub. You're having these grandiose thoughts about yourself. So the king goes, describe what you would do if you wanted someone to be honored. And he said, oh, let's let them wear the robes you've already worn. Let's let them put your crown on. Let's have a parade. Let's let your noble lead them through the streets. Let them shout. He came all up and the king goes, oh, okay, then you be the one to lead Mordecai through the streets. And Haman was so upset. If this happens to you, where you have to exalt your enemy, the person you dislike the most, let me tell you, Jehovah Sneaky is working on you. He is trying to work it out of you. Let me just say, don't just get mad about it. Don't just think, gosh, use this 
to reevaluate yourself. When you make a misjudgment, stop and reevaluate it with the Lord. Do it with the Lord. Like if I have something where I think it's going to go this way and it goes a different way, I spend quite a bit of prayer time working it out with the Lord. And that's what will help you treat your discernment as holy and you'll straighten yourself out because people never pay attention when they miss it. I get some people and I'm like, I don't even have a number for how many times they say they hear the Lord and they're wrong and they never hold themselves accountable for it. Don't be that person. If you are making misjudgments and it doesn't even come out your mouth, I still want you to take it before the Lord and ask him, why did I make a mistake on this? You need to take these mistakes seriously and have discernment with them. You've got to start this by cleaning up what's in the inside. Don't think you're that spiritual. Of course you like to be praised. I don't want y'all to think you're more spiritual than what you are. Of course you like honor. Who doesn't? Let me just give you some. I don't care how spiritual you get. You're never going to quit thinking praise feels good. But you can't let yourself be manipulated by it or use it for others or let it be what motivates you in life. The praises of men will fail you. So I'm saying this whole passage could stop right here in Esther 6 verse 6. But we're going to slip to the next chapter. And you see Haman go to the next round. He didn't pay attention to his misjudgment, but now he gets startled and panic starts to set in. King Xerxes spoke up and asked Queen Esther. Now this is the king. He's asking the queen, who is this? And where is the one who would devise such a scheme? Who thought of this? Like, you're just now telling me, Esther, that there is someone out there plotting to kill your people. First of all, he said, I didn't know you were Jewish. So he's startled. The king's startled because he didn't know his wife was Jewish. But he's like, who came up with this to get me in such a position that I would sign something like this? And Esther turns around. This is as good as Nathan. We all talk about Nathan doing this to King David, but Esther replied, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked man, Haman. And she points at him. Can you imagine that feeling when this beautiful queen who you think has asked you to dinner just because you're so wonderful, you're falling for the same thing as the first time, she turns on you and she's invited you twice to set you up to run you. This is what happens when you don't evaluate yourself. So Haman is startled. Panic starts to set in. But guess what he does? He doesn't apply wisdom. Haman starts compounding his mistakes. This is where I tell you, just hand the person a shovel. Just hand them a shovel. They're digging themselves in deeper. I mean, when somebody starts failing and they've got too much pride, just give them a shovel. They're going to need it to bury themselves. It's just that bad. So he starts compounding. Esther 7, 7, in his fury, listen to what the king does. He arose from drinking his wine and he went to the palace garden while Haman stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. For he realized that the king was planning a terrible fate for him. Oh, now he has gone from the people are scattering. <laughs> I saw he's gone from oh my goodness, my plan has backfired to realizing he is being singled out by the queen and now by the king. You know, I've been watching things happen lately 
And this is what I've been saying. Out of all the choices that someone could possibly make, out of all the things they could do to make it be the worst possible choice they could make, they're doing it. And I tell myself every time, it couldn't be any worse than this. In this situation that we were helping advise, I said, in your wildest imagination, how could this many smart people do something this dumb? Like you would think somebody could come forward and make sense out of something. You would think that somewhere is anointed someone with wisdom. But y'all, time would fail me. If I told you every last one of them, they're coming in like just rolling in on top of us. You're just like, if I had even thought of what is the worst possible thing that happened and tried to make it happen, I couldn't make it turn out as bad as it's turning out. I'm like, my gosh, what are these Christians doing? I have somebody, friends, and they decided that they should fire someone. Now, how about if you did something at your house that did not involve your job at all, but they hear about it and they decide you should be fired because you did something at home. Now, I'm not talking about immoral, illegal. I'm just saying you did something of a lack of communication. Let's just call it that. So they fire number one person that caused no harm to the ministry. And the first thing that the Lord told me is ask how it turned out. And it was surprising. Everything worked out well although this person did something. Now, I'm not going to tell you what this person did wasn't the shock of a lifetime. It would shock anyone. But they didn't do anything to hurt the ministry, so they fire him. I wouldn't advise to do the course that he took, but surprisingly, it actually had some genius to it. It actually worked. But these people aren't looking for fruit or results. And I'm talking about these are some of the smartest thinkers in the entire United States in their fields. Like, if I told you what they did, you would fall over. Now that they fired this one, which is very much related to the first person, they take person number one, who is doing all the work, has the vision, has the skill, has the connections, has worked on this for two solid years, and stands so alone in her field, nobody could you find to do her job. Like, if I had to replace it and I could choose anyone I knew in the United States, it would be hard to find someone that has her giftings for what she does. So they meet together, and this is what they decide. (laughs) Steph's shaking her head. They shut off the ministry. They stopped all the funding. They closed the outreach. They called all the leaders in. They called it all off, and they fired her. Those who have accountability, and this is the problem that our kids are getting into, they're in jobs where they're at mid-management level. And those who have accountability, they let the insecure person make the decisions and they lose everything that was being done for the kingdom. And they do not have the wisdom. And you are stuck by serving someone that's insecure and someone that has to control. You got people around you and those people need to learn how they can save you from yourself. And I happen to know the guy who was the insecure one who did it. And we had to do a very quick move to keep the ministry to reopen again. Like this is not the time in the United States to let stuff like this go down wrong. The wisest person was not the decision maker. If you were on purpose trying to make the worst decision possible, I don't think you could make it turn out any more poorly. 
It couldn't be any worse than that. These aren't the results you want. No one wins. I'm like, what do Gentiles think? <laughs> like you would at least think that they'd wanted the money from it or tried to steal it. I would have felt a little better about them if they were at least trying to steal the work. They weren't even trying to steal it. They just shut it off. That's the best thoughts Gentiles have. Let's just get rid of the whole thing. It's over. We'll look at it again in two years. No one won anything for the kingdom. What results do you want? What results do you not want? What results do you want? Which results do you not want? I'll tell you what to do. Don't fast. Don't go in the back pasture and cry out for two or three hours or spend most of your night praying or put more time the next morning into praying. Just vent. Just go public with everything that's wrong. <laughs> Just tell the Gentiles, let them all blaspheme. Try to control everything. That always helps in these matters. Don't show strength. What is the most cowardly thing you can think of doing? Let me tell you. I hate to tell you, but that's what's happening everywhere I'm looking. So, my poster boy, the one I told you, if you'll look at him, you'll never be like him. His next ideal is to jump on Queen Esther, who you've just tried to kill her and her people group and beg for your life. So look in Esther 7-8, circle it in your Bible, and tell yourself when things start going wrong, if you want the worst possible outcome you can even think of, make sure you do what he did. Because people get so goofy during this time. So in despair, Haman, he goes over where the beautiful queen is, and he falls on the couch where Queen Esther is reclining. I'm sure it was one of those French couches like I have. So she's reclining like a queen. And just the moment he falls on the couch where she's reclining, crying, begging, tell him, please, let me, the king walks in. And if he hadn't already had bad thoughts about Haman, this finishes him off. And so when he returned from the garden, the king exclaimed, he screams, it can't get any worse than this. He goes, will you even assault the queen right here in the palace right before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaled his doom, and carried him out. Thus blessed the reading of this story. <laughs> this is what happens when you put no thought in it. And when you take what is already nervousness and add a little venting and add a little control and add a little fear and add a little coward, you can get results you never even thought were possible to get. Dumb and dumber makes things turn out the worst possible you can imagine. If you're still young and you enjoy seeing people manifest and you want to see how dumb they can get, kind of like I stirred up that crazy cow that time, go ahead and try it. You'll be shocked how dumb people can get. Mistakes. I see leaders make. I wrote down all the things they did, and out beside them I wrote what it is they did so that you won't do it. Now, that keeps me from telling the... Um, actual thing they did so you can put together who I'm talking about, but learn from them. Of course, everybody can look at the picture on the screen, but other than that. <laughs> but they get into pride and blame. I wrote down exactly their first move they made. It's Haman verse 1. Then the second move they made, they did the second thing Haman did. They got terribly afraid of conflict. The third thing, and if I can hound this one into you, not listening not listening, not listening. When you're in trouble, you must listen. And these are actual, I wish I could tell you what the person was doing at each one of these, but I just wrote out what it is. Lacking wisdom. Their mind is spinning. Their thoughts are not coherent. 
They don't hear anyone God sending to them. Out of all the choices this person could have made, they choose the very worst one. You can't mess up a place more than this. You can't do it any worse than this. So I ask myself, is it a hole in my discipleship? I mean, I'm seeing people I did disciple do this. Maybe my kids are doing so much better. You know, I used to take a team on a field, and I look for weak spots in my discipleship. But now that they're launched, I'm like, I need to reel them back in. And so someone said, what did they do wrong? So I listed it out. Just don't get my other notes. First of all, not listening. Not listening. This is what someone did on the field, and it's horrible results. Two, not learning from their mistakes. No discernment. Not listening to their prophecy. They want the good part, but they ignore the obedience part. They bring no creativity to this. They're selfish, unaware. Next one, selfish, unaware. Next one, selfish, unaware. I couldn't believe how many times they were doing this one. Laughable pride. A mechanical obedience. How many times was he being told? Multiple times, but not listening. He listens to slander. Not obeying basic Bible concepts. Drama with anger. His wife told me what was happening. Greedy. Matthew 18, when three come. Doesn't do anything about it. Going down in flames with a convergent of mistakes. Remember, out of all the choices you could have made, how can you possibly pick the very worst outcome? You shake your head. You hear the result. It can't get any worse than this. It is. These are people I know. One guy, he pushed me and pushed me to have Brother Jacob do an extra meeting just for him to get a prophecy. So I do it. I make us have a very late drive back to Houston. He gets a word, and he does completely opposite of what his word says to do. And he's offended when we call him out on it. It's the pattern of his whole life. His is not aware, lack of awareness. This is something I would look for. What I'm going to tell you, what you get mad about in someone else, see if you're not doing it yourself. That's one rule that has helped me so much is when I get really mad at someone I'll see if I'm doing it. And you know, I may not be doing it to other people, but I usually can find a place where I'm doing it to God. These are things that'll keep your heart clean. Passiveness is not a good response. A decision maker, the second in commands, the boards of directors are caving in. Elders are yes men and tell them what they want to hear. They have no courage. The reason the board exists is so they can help in times of crisis when that person needs you to tell them the truth and they don't use their power. But at the same time, you've got to partner with leaders that are willing to listen. When you're the second in command, you've got to have the courage to tell yourself, I was born for this. I've been trained all my life to be able to go and separate out this conflict. And I'll tell you personally, this is the one thing that totally... I feel like it's the deal breaker for me that I cannot deal with in someone. I'll wash my hands of you in ministry. Matthew 18, 6. If you're harming the sheep and you're harming new believers, it says in the Bible it would be better for you if a millstone was hung around your neck. And I'm seeing it done. And it's the one thing that has made me move away from three ministries very, very attached to me. I cannot deal with with this one. And there are times where pressure and different things will try to cause you to do it. You must listen to people if they're telling you you're getting close to this. 
People can learn, but they can learn the wrong things. They can think themselves to be right, and it puffs them up. They work around it for their own good, for what they want. The deal breaker is when they lead people to the Lord, and for one reason or another, they just turn them loose and let them go to the wolves. So I'm going to tell you that what you're going to have to do is forbid things from going down wrong. You know, Brother Jacob told me some of the churches I oversee over in another country, we had had a loss of leadership, and I had to go install in leadership after a death. And all of a sudden, lawsuits started flying in every direction a year or two later. Everyone was calling the authorities. It became the most litigious mess you've ever seen. You've got to start putting money and time in it. I had Christmas, and I didn't even get to enjoy opening presents. I was handling this every other call. And you know what Brother Jacob told me? Speak to it. He said, speak to it from over here. Don't fly in. And he said, he'll change it over there. And that way God will get all the glory. Wouldn't that be something that when things are going wrong, we just spoke to it? Isaiah 33, 3 in the NLT. Like forbidding it to go down wrong. Like how about today if you saw a lady driving and she was pulling into Whataburger and kabam, she hits something maybe, possibly. She thinks she might have. She gets out of her car to see who she hit, what she hit. She's unsteady. She's loopy. Steph and White offer, will not you come lay down? We have a ministry. will not you come lay down and just get to feeling a little better? Or we can help you call someone. The lady says, I need to get home. And you think, that's an accident ready to happen. She pulls it again as she's pulling out. She does something else dumb. But guess what? They don't say anything. Because if they said something to the effect of, uh, oh, wow, she's just going to kill somebody. She's going to be a wreck. That, you know what happens? You give the devil agreement and he can do it. No resistance. So White and Steph commanded with their authority, this will not end in disaster, and she is not allowed to have an accident. Have you ever had a sense that something was going to happen, and God put you right there, not to pray, but to command it to change? We've had situations. One guy threatened to kill another guy. The police come. The police weren't going to touch it. They didn't want to get involved. What do crossliners do to keep it from going down wrong? Two or three get involved, start commanding, using their authority, start praying. One of you stay so long to keep it from going down wrong. Everyone involved was a blessing to me. I didn't want to lose anybody. Let me give you your verses. Matthew 16, 19. Matthew 18, 18. Literally, you come on the scene and you cause things not to go down wrong. You change them. You forbid them. Oh, you give your voice to the enemy and say everything that you know in the natural could happen. Or you can start speaking what the Word of God says. Listening. Of course, they call me that night. And I love these verses. Matthew 18, 18, bind and loose. But actually, binding and loosing is a Jewish rabbinical concept that gives authority to someone to determine whether something is allowed or forbidden. The actual words that they use sometimes is, I allow that or I forbid it. So that night, I heard about that situation, and I forbid it. I told John, I forbid this from happening in the name of Jesus. I forbid this from getting worse. Then I went and got in my bed and went to sleep and let y'all handle it because you've learned the power of authority. It doesn't have to go 
down wrong. The importance of listening. The importance of not being a yo-yo. To partner. The ideal of gather, where Jesus says, you gather with me. So you have an anointing to make it work out well. And if you're going to be a shepherd of people, you need to doubly do this. You need to sort the stuff out. You need to find your peace. You need to pull the spin to a stop. Check with your spirit and make sure that you're discerning it right. You've got to make good, solid choices. Forgive the person that you're offended at. John 20, fast. If it means enough for you to skip a meal. You care enough about it that you cry out to God. God actually speaks back to you, which is a novel idea, that you don't do all the talking, but he talks and you put it into action and you realize you have an anointing on your life for wisdom and truth. You know what happened? Code red, code red. It didn't turn to code blue. And you are able to completely turn that situation around. Amen.